Welcome to the Kids to Market podcast, where we talk to amazing young entrepreneurs, big and small, adults who champion kids in business, and discuss why running a children's business fair can change young people's lives. I'm Stacy, Kids to Market founder and raving fan of Kidpreneurs. Today, I have with me Cody McLean, who started his first business at 15 and has to date founded three multi-million dollar companies. I typically don't interview adults on my podcast, but Cody has graciously agreed to come and talk about his experiences when he was a young entrepreneur. I recently read Cody's book about his life in foster care after the death of his parents and how it was the spark, the catalyst that sort of got everything going. I think that his experiences are are a great roadmap for other young entrepreneurs. Welcome, Cody. Thank you for having me, Stacey. It's been great to read your book, first of all, From Foster Care to Millionaire. It was an outstanding read. I couldn't put it down. I was really excited to bring you on so that we could talk about that experience. Um, I think that uh, what we need to hear and what the kids on the podcast need to hear is is kind of your journey right from right from the beginning. Because one of the very first questions I get, and I get this tons in my classes, is how do I get started? Like, I don't even know. I don't know where to start. So do you want to start from your beginning? Yeah, I'd love to. So uh, I I had a a turbulent childhood growing up. I lived with my grandparents for a little while, and then I was living with my parents. And I, I, I was a poor kid that went, that just happened to go to this rich school. And so on the bus every day, we would go by these huge mansions. So in some ways I was lucky to see what all this wealth was. You see, you see all these Mercedes Benz and BMWs. And I was driving, we were driving in this old beat up Ford Taurus. And I always saw what I couldn't have. In some ways that created this North star for me, this vision at a very young age of, of what I aimed to aim, what I, what I really wanted. Wanted. And I ended up having a best friend. His name is Calvin, and he was actually fairly rich. He lives in a big mansion. His mom drives a Maserati, and I, I, I didn't have that. But one day, his he had he had some he had bipolar and ADHD, and so uh, his mom actually grounded him one day and said that she wasn't going to give him any more money, that he wasn't going to be able to get the money to get an Xbox. And so he wanted to brainstorm how to start a business. And so I was in his room and we were trying to brainstorm various business ideas. And uh, myself being probably the more rational, logical one, pretty much said no to every single one. But then he came up with one business idea that was actually to start a web hosting company. And out of all the things that you could possibly do when you're, say, 15 years old, starting a web hosting company, especially, uh, let's say, 10 years ago, was not actually that difficult of a task. You can still do it even relatively easy today because you can sign up for a reseller account at, uh, say, HostGator.com, which is a web hosting company. And a web hosting company is what hosts a website. So even like Facebook, for example, they have big data centers of servers. But if you wanted to start your own website, you would go to, say, a web hosting company and you would pay them to be able to have your own website. How did you come up with that idea? Like, where did that come from? I think we were just brainstorming and just came up with a list of ideas. And I don't remember specifically where the idea came from. He could have been Googling just how to start a business, something along that nature. And out of all the ones that, that he, he sprouted, that seemed to be like the one, it still seemed like it was doomed to fail. And in some ways it was because (laughs) the idea of just paying our initial expenses were very minimal where we just had to get a domain name. You know, that's maybe 10 bucks a year, uh, a reseller account, 
account, which uh, is basically a web hosting account, but it, it allows you to white label resell. So you can sell hosting as if it's your own company and then okay. you know, getting a template, maybe that's $30. And so all in all, the initial expenses were probably less than a hundred bucks to get started. And that seems very reasonable because if you do the math, you think, oh, wow, I only need like 25 clients and we're going to be making like two, three hundred dollars a month. And, you know, that's definitely oh all we God. need to get an Xbox. Right. And right? <laughs> and, and you think everything is going to go perfect. But it was probably less than three days into this that we started to have disagreements over the design. And pretty much he said, OK, you know what? I'm not going to do this anymore. But it was interesting in that in those few days that I was working on this, I found like I had a, a passion. I had an interest. And I think everybody can relate to this when you're in school or wherever you find that maybe you're good at basketball or maybe you're good at band. Or, or you start coding, you find something that you're passionate about. And for me, I had never been good at any sports in my life. I tried everything and everything that school offered me, I just wasn't really, I wasn't good at it. And I didn't really find it super interesting. And for the first time in my life, the idea of, of putting a website together, of getting clients, of figuring out how to market the business, how to support those clients and everything that I would need to do as a business owner, it was struck me as profound. And it, it was actually the one thing, if I go back to that original goal of, of I'm, I'm this 15 year old kid that's riding to school every day on a bus and I'm going by these mansions. And so I'm seeing sort of everything that I feel like I, I wish I could have. And it was from that moment that I found the thing that would help me achieve that vision. And so I wanted to prove to all these other kids and some, some of them made fun of me for wearing the same clothes and shoes every day to school. And it was clear uh, to them that I was not at their level of financial wealth. And so I wanted to prove to these kids in some ways that I could, I could be successful and I didn't need my parents' money to do that. So you have this motivation as both sort of the affluence that you're seeing around you, but on the other hand, you know, sort of the boredom of school, the not fitting in, the not really finding anything that's your own. And you just sort of wrapped your whole existence around something, this new passion, this it's almost like, I don't know, opening up a candy box and discovering that you can eat it, I guess. I think that it's, it's interesting because I've had this conversation recently with someone who's, you know, because the current situation we're in, a lot of people are trying to move their business online uh -huh. and I've sent her all of this, you know, all of these uh, professional development courses and where she can just transition learning management. So she's a teacher and she actually emailed me back and said, you know, what I've discovered is that I'm really passionate about being in the classroom in front of kids. And I really don't want to take it online. You know, that there's no drive. So uh -huh. is it, was it the, the making money was because usually I find that money's a poor motivator, right? right? So there's, there's something else where you just, you obsessively deep dive into the subject or into the content. And is that what happened? So I, I wouldn't say it was, it was money by itself that motivated me, but it was, it was a drive to prove to these other kids 
that I could yeah. be successful and that I didn't need my parents' money because here I am, this this kid that didn't fit in, that didn't I didn't have any social cliques. Like I would hang out with the geeks, but they they just barely let me sit at their table because I was even in the lowest math classes and I wasn't in any of the AP classes. And it was weird because I've I've grown up with some people telling me I'm smart, but simultaneously, like if I took any if I took the SAT, I would get very low scores and just just traditional schools, just I've been horrible at it. Just not good at really any of it, especially math in particular. Even today, I'm not very good at math. But it was that it was that drive initially to prove to these kids who I felt were always trying to one up me in some ways, and that was my my motivator. And then later on, it did transition more to material wealth, which I can certainly say now that I'm almost about to turn thirty. Is that uh, you know I've I've been able to buy all these things. And of course we know it doesn't make you happy. Um, but back in the day when I was still in the early days, I actually put a picture of a Porsche Cayenne uh, that I, I put a poster up on the wall. And so I would, I would work and I would look at the Porsche and it was sort of like my vision board of what I wanted. And I would, I would in some ways envision myself driving it or having these nice things. And so it did sort of transition partially to what are the things that I really want? And then what are the things that I wanted to do? And actually later on, when I was able to sell the business, I actually was able to, to learn photography and I started traveling and I learned how to fly an airplane and all these things that I once thought I could never do and I was too stupid to do. But now I was afforded the financial freedom to do that. And I was able to experience a level of personal growth that I had never experienced in a, in a very long time. And it changed your confidence. Like what I'm hearing is that you're not getting the appropriate feedback from the traditional school system that you were in. Right. That now you get this like immediate feedback because people are enrolling in your hosting and they're paying you money and they appreciate the value that you provide them. Did it like, cause I'm, it sounds like you didn't have a whole lot of self-confidence. And so when exactly. was that, like, yeah, that transition kind of occurs, was it pretty quick? It, it it honestly wasn't. It was when I was in school and even after school, uh, through homeschool and even after I dropped out of school, I was I was simply working on the business because it was the only thing I had. I didn't have my parents to support me, and I still had issues with my own self confidence. But the only thing I knew that I had, I uh, that I could fall back on was the business. And so I had to make it successful. It was my number one driver. It's it's sort of like having your back against the wall and just having no alternative option. And so that was really just the just the the will to succeed. And, you know, there's in Viktor Frankl's book uh, where he was in, in Auschwitz for a while is that it, it's sort of like when you're in grave situations, you really have to find what are the, the smallest things that you can derive meaning and purpose from. And it's it, if you have hope, that hope, even if it's just a sliver of hope, that will allow you to get through even the toughest of times. And and it was only later on, kind of jumping a little bit. And so I went through a whole bunch of up and up and downs. I I lost my business. I met some bad people. And uh, I, I inevitably, my first business was not successful, but I kept trying and I kept trying. And it was probably my third uh, or third or third attempt, really, that I was finally able to create a successful business and sell it. But interesting, e- even up to that point, I still had low self confidence because I remember when I when I went to uh, to Orange County, uh, just south of LA, and I sold it to this huge company. As the CEO came up and shook my hand and asked me, like, how does it feel to 
huge just sold your company and to to be honest i answered them like it it feels okay but you know we've got a lot of stuff to do and i i still i was just thinking about all the things i was going to buy but also the anxiety of knowing I'm going to have to be there for two days because when you sell a company, you have to give handoff information and logins and passwords. And that took a lot of time. And so I was just so obsessed over getting out of there that I didn't appreciate that moment of what it felt like to actually have that success. And so one of the things I later learned in life is, is, is that you really have to appreciate the value of small things. And there's one thing called the gratitude jar. And so, you know, we're, we're as humans, we're wired to only focus on the negative things. And if you you can if you can rewire your brain to focus on the positive things like one thing i have is if anything positive happens i write it down on a sticky note and i put it in the gratitude jar and that's a reminder to to be grateful for those small wins and especially if you're building a business you're going to have a lot of negative points but you have to be able to celebrate the small wins because those are what keep you going uh, but but to, to move on from that uh, once i was able to sell the business that's when i was able to to kind of grow and i realized that I had so I, I learned I learned photography. I I, I went to Guatemala by myself. Uh, I I learned how to fly an airplane, and so now I have a private pilot's license. And then I went scuba diving, and I got I have all the all these certifications like rescue diving. And what I realized is that when I was young, I would play flight simulator like the Microsoft flight simulator, just in between say answering a client phone call. But any time I was flying like a seven thirty seven, in the back of my head, I told myself that I was too stupid to fly a plane. And quite honestly. The in my entire time at school is is I was constantly being reminded of how stupid I am, and I felt like well that I'm not as smart as the geeks. I don't fit in, and so I had absolute low self confidence even when I was running the business. But the business was the only thing that kept me going. Honestly, it was my lifeline. But once I was able to actually sell the business, and then I I started to learn these skills, is that I realized that we are fully capable of achieving anything we want in life, and that was such a profound realization. For me. And I think it's it's so understated and you don't really understand it until you realize it. And so even if right now, if you, if you feel like you're unworthy or you're not as good as you feel like you could be, or that you'll never be able to learn how to program, as I can say with absolute certainty is that you can do anything as long as you set your mind to it. And, and that's exactly what I was able to do after I was able to sell the business and I was able to, to kind of let my mind roam a little bit free and I was able to focus on myself. And that was a profound realization. And that's really one of my missions is I want to teach others that it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, you're fully capable of achieving anything you want in life. Oh, that's, uh, there's so much you just added in there. So I'm going to try and straighten it out, especially because there's the kids listening. First of all, that necessity is the master of all invention. You know, we get ourselves into situations where we have no choice and that's really difficult to mimic, right? Like if you're, you don't have anything, your back isn't up against the wall. So, you know, what I create in my course is that you have to create a hard and fast deadline and make a commitment to somebody else. So the second somebody else is expecting something from you, all of a sudden that deadline becomes real and you get off your butt and you get it done and you put in the work and you put in the time. So I think that that's a really important point that you added. I love the um, gratitude jar. We do that in the, in our own family, or we did. I think we've kind of fallen off the the wagon for that. But the mm. idea of taking moments in developing your business to write down how thankful you are for the small successes you have and for the failures you're experiencing, because I don't think we spend enough time recognizing that failure is a gift. 
that every time we fall down and every time we're not successful in our attempt, it shows us that we're trying and that in of itself should be celebrated and there should be a level of gratitude for it. So I, I love that aspect. And the uh, thinking that you're stupid thing and the self-confidence, uh, I think that there's, I'm not sure that that isn't actually everyone. It doesn't even matter if you're getting the straight A's or you're putting on a good show in school that you know you're smart and you know you're great or you know you're getting all these great grades that usually you see those that have the highest grades have the greatest level of anxiety around not having those grades because it's what defines them mm -hmm. right. not able to understand who they are and their experience in school is exactly what creates their self-image and their self-worth and when school is over they struggle desperately with how to find that self-esteem or self-confidence, which is different, right? Like self-esteem is how you feel about yourself. And self-confidence is your belief in your ability to tackle anything and do it. And so I think you were kind of grappling with, with both. And when you got all your PADI certifications and your rescue dives and you were able to learn how to fly a plane, that changed that sort of level of self-confidence for you but you're also selling your company and not able to you know sit and actually enjoy it because that's rooted in your self-esteem and it's how you you feel about yourself deeply you know the that you are of worth that you have value and so that's a lot that's a lot to overcome how old were you when you sold that first company i think i was around uh 22 or 23 20 Okay. And so you said you had a couple of failures. So the first one you said wasn't successful. Were you, did it take a couple of years? Was it when you were still 15? Like when did you find that you had to sort of pivot or rethink your approach? So, so it actually would, uh, happened when I was 19. And so with my first business, I partnered with a guy that was actually up in Vancouver, BC. And so I moved up there when I turned 18 and he was a really great guy. And since I didn't have my father in my life, he kind of became this father figure. And it's, it's hard whenever you're combining family and friends in business, because you're having to, to now deal with money as a factor and money changes people. Unfortunately, it's just the fact of life. Um, and even in that case, it's like, I've had people ask me like, would you hire your friend? And, and my answers to that is like, like, yes, I, I would hire my friend, but you have to be absolutely willing to throw your friendship out the window in order right. for them to come work for you. And that's just that's just going to happen because once money enters the picture, it just changes things and you really can't envision how it's going to change um, until you actually see it occur. But so I so I moved up and uh, so he's a really nice guy. But he wasn't necessarily the smartest, and my our our agreement was that he was going going to handle the legal and the business side of it, and I would handle the marketing and and the growth side of it. But then he ended up finding this guy that was advertising himself as this, as a penny stock investor, which is like we've all heard of like the Nasdaq and oh, yeah. the, the Dow, yeah. and the penny stocks are the like this very low level um, type of trading, and some of it's kind of fishy. And I never got like a really good feeling with the guy. Like my intuition is I didn't like the guy. But I was sort of, I was kind of pressured into selling the business to this guy under the pretense that he would help raise us money. And we ended up having this whole legal lawsuit in which it was a, it was a whole year out process, but I never knew somebody could be so evil. And so you really have to be careful with who you enter business in. And my one regret in that is that my intuition was right. It was like, this is a bad guy. I, I shouldn't be dealing with him. And I let the, the peer pressure kind of override 
override that intuition. And so that's that's another lesson I was I would always take is uh, one, one rule that I have is I, I never discuss numbers over the phone. So I never make a commitment with a person over the phone. I always say, I'll get back to you. And that allows me time to think by myself and I'll give them a written response about what I want to do or the decision I want to make through an email or, or text or, or what have you. Um, and that avoids that, that peer pressure of that, of, of the, the p- potential manipulation that could occur. But right. so, so we ended up having a business that was generating close to $600,000 in revenue per year. And he effectively tried to destroy it as a method of getting us to just settle the lawsuit. And so we eventually settled the lawsuit. We gave him the business and he ended up doing a fire sale. So a fire sale is what happens when a business is in free fall, like it's the revenue and the profits are going very far down and you end up selling it for like pennies on the dollar for like maybe a third of what it's actually worth. And so now I'm at a point in my life where I'm maybe around 20, 21. Um, and I'm my, my, the, the, the guy that I partnered with is telling me that I can't start another business without him. And I don't know what else to do. I have maybe $50,000 left as savings. And so I decide to start another business. And uh, luckily, the amount of effort and, and will that I've put forth was able to make that business a success. But uh, I can tell you without a doubt, going through that year-long process is my motivation was sapped because as soon as he served me with this lawsuit, which, you know, the first time you deal with legal stuff, it's abs- super scary. And he was claiming that he owned the business. And from that point on, my my motivation died because it was everything I had worked so hard is building my business. And and if he was claiming that it was his business, then well, I I, I don't want to put in the work because you know it might not be my business tomorrow. So that was really the hardest thing was dealing with that that uh, who's going to own the business and whether I should continue working on the business. But uh, nonetheless, we we got through it. I settled, but I didn't let that I didn't let losing the business remove my commitment to building up another business. And in fact, when I started this other business, I was in need of money. And so I went to a competitor and I asked him like, if he would give me a job. And he said he would, but he would give me a job only on a pretense that I give him this other business that I was starting. And that was just uh, that was just something I couldn't do because all my hopes and dreams were still tied to the second business. And I'm I'm lucky that I didn't do that, and I was able to make that business a success. And surprise, I was able to do that all on my own. So I I, I didn't know taxes, I didn't know how to register a business, and here I am at 21. I figured it all out. And so I learned, again, that it's another lesson that you don't need to know everything going into a business. Uh, and in fact, my current business, it's, it's, it's a multinational corporation with uh, another corporation in the Philippines, and we've got hundreds of people. And I, I knew at the beginning I had anxiety about like, oh, I'm going to have to learn the labor laws for the Philippines. I'm going to have to learn how taxes work for a corporation that's owned by a U.S. corporation. And it turns out I didn't really need to, to learn very much because I was able to find people who knew what they were doing and you end up outsourcing the knowledge to them. And so that's, that's my other kind of tip here is not to let the anxiety of what you don't know prevent you from starting. Right, right. I was watching a TED Talk the other day and he was talking about imposter syndrome, sort of the idea that we constantly have this feeling like, you know, we're faking it till we make it sort of idea that the, mm-hmm. uh, we don't deserve to be here and somebody's going to show up the door with a clipboard and call you out and say, yeah, you're a fraud. 
<laughs> you don't deserve to be able to do this anymore. And that, you know, the whole message of the TED Talk, I'll include it in the show notes because it's really good. But it's uh, about how everybody feels that way at some point and often throughout their entire career is feeling like, you know, there's somebody who's better or smarter, or, you know, stronger, faster and, than and, you are. And to be honest, I still have imposter syndrome, but, but that reminded me of this idea of fake it till you make it. And so even at an early age, I always had this mentality of fake it till you make it. So when I was building the business, I looked at my primary web hosting competitors. I would look at their website and I would determine what are the, the best elements? What are the things that they're offering, like 30-day money-back guarantee, 99.9% uptime guarantee? What are the things that they're offering that I need to offer? And then what I would do is, is it was just me at the beginning and I had to offer phone and live chat. And so I actually invented an alternative person who would be the primary person that would handle the billing. And then who would be the, I, I invented another person who would handle the support. And also, even when you would call, I would introduce myself as, as Robert instead of ah. and And I did that because you don't, people, I, I, I looked at it from the, the, from the perspective of if I want to host my website with somebody, if I know that this hosting company is being run by one person, I don't want to put all of that on that one person. And especially if you're getting started, there's a lot of companies now who, who they will create fake accounts in their system, or uh, they'll do fake forum posts because nobody wants to post in a, in a dead form or nobody wants to use an app that nobody else is using. So there's always yeah. an element that I've had to apply to my businesses of fake it till you make it. Uh, and that's been, I think, absolutely instrumental because if I had approached it from I'm a one person, I wouldn't have been able to grow as fast or I think in some cases even be successful at all. Yeah, I know. My, we uh, own a SaaS company ourselves and we had to stop calling ourselves two guys in a truck. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> you start uh, thinking about yourself too small instead of thinking yourself big. You almost create roles for people you hope will come and work in your business and just sort of fill in the gaps until you actually have those actual individuals. So when, when I teach my class, um, I talk about those um, invisible skills. I don't really like to call them invisible skills because I actually think they're crucial skills. And uh, did you have, and I'm talking about uh, definitely the self-confidence, which you're lacking, but you faked it till you made it. Uh, perseverance, uh, resilience, critical thinking. You know, these are things that building a business, when you build a business from scratch, a startup, you, you get those skills. I mean, schools try to mimic it. They try right. to come up with project-based learning or, you know, reasoning. This is the reason why there's word problems in math. There's all these kind of ideas, but it doesn't have the same drive, the same passion. And you build those skills, that skill set, which is so important, that flexibility in thinking, because we don't know what jobs are going to exist in the future. I mean, we're going through this sort of thought revolution as it is right now in the way that where are we going? We don't know. And if you can't have that base skill set, you're going to be at a disadvantage. It isn't going to be about the degree you have, and it isn't going to be how good you are at trigonometry. It's going to be about your ability to problem solve, to work well with others, to be collaborative, to have critical thinking, that whole, you know, problem think solution mindset. Did you have those skills before you started? It's like you kind of it's almost like you're born at 15, but there had to have been something in your life or maybe there wasn't. So do you, what skills did you have going into that first business venture at 15? You think that helped you? Were there some? 
I, I can't say I really had any skills other than the will to, to be successful. I didn't know how to program. I didn't know HTML and I was having to build the website from scratch. And so that, that would actually get on to my next point is, you know, it, you can take a course, you can go to school, you can read a book, but often that knowledge is going to get lost and you're not going to be able to recall it in the time that you actually need it. And there's, there's this philosophy I've always approached is I learn what I need to know when I need to know it. And it's this idea of, of recalling information. So if you're reading a book, you know, there's a reason why teachers ask you to, to write the information down and they ask you questions questions about that book because it forces you to recall the information that you just read. Because often if you just read a book flat out, unless it's like a fictional narrative, is that you're going to forget everything that you just read. And often when I was building the business is I didn't know HTML. I didn't know how to build a website, but I, I had, I just made a lot of trials and errors. So I figured out that people were using Dreamweaver. I downloaded Dreamweaver and I started, I, I picked out a template. And so most of my edits were actually through the, the what you see is what you get editor which allows you to, to not use the code. But inevitably, I had to learn a little bit of HTML and CSS so I can fix some of the issues that would pop up. But I only, need, I only learned what I needed to know. And actually, later on in my book, it goes to a point where I tried to get a job and I was trying to apply as a web developer. And everything was going really well in the interview up to the point he asked me to open up Notepad on my computer and to code from scratch a web page. And at that point, I couldn't do it because I had never needed to know how to code a website from scratch, right? I only, I, I would take a template and I would edit it. So I'd learn a little bit of what I needed to know. And it goes right. on, on this other point of say something called press releases. So press releases are kind of outdated, but a lot of companies still do them. And back in the day, I saw that other web hosting companies, they were writing press releases, but you know what I didn't do? I didn't go Google how to write a press release. I didn't take a course on how to write a press release. I didn't take a class on how to write a press release. I, I looked at somebody else's press release and I looked at the overall layout. So like the first paragraph, they would talk a little bit about the company, say in the third paragraph, they would have a quote from the person. And I kind of found a pattern on my own. And just by looking at the results of somebody else's work, I was able to write my own press release. And, the, and that first press release was so good, it got copied on multiple different outlets and syndicates. And so I, that's really been my, my skill is I learned what I need to know when I need to, to know it, because that's often the time when you're going to be the most motivated to, to learn that. And I've taken lots of courses from growth hacking and marketing and coding. And often I just forget that knowledge. But if you learn something when you need to build something, I can guarantee you that knowledge is going to stay with you forever. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's kind of what schools try to mimic. It's I, I teach in my course, the Picasso quote that good artists copy, but great artists steal. Mm. Because I get asked this question all the time, right? Like, I don't know how to do that. Then you go out and find somebody who's doing really well and you copy exactly what they're doing. Yeah. What if somebody else has the same idea as me? Then that's a proven mar a product in the marketplace. Pick out the things that they do well. Find three or four that are doing the same thing and pick out the things that they're doing well and put yourself into it and you will have a great business, right? So it's, I love that, uh, the idea of just, just do it when you need it. and it's uh that's actually how I learned how to code <laughs> because mm. I took a class and the class was an after degree class because I did go to university and I got nothing out of it other than the four years and a huge debt mm. right so I went and did an after degree diploma in computer science and they taught you six programming languages in six months wow. so there was 
yeah, that's a lot of information to stuff in your head. And ironically, the very first job that I got was in a programming language that wasn't even taught in the class. And I was a terrible, terrible programmer. It wasn't until I learned how to program better when I needed to accomplish something because I wanted to show someone something that I thought was a better way of doing it, that I got better at it. And then eventually I got a job in a startup. Again, I was given a job, not in the programming language I worked in. It was content management. So I had to learn HTML and CSS just like you. And literally I told them, I don't know how to do that. And I had great mentors at this company went, well, you got exactly 48 hours to figure it out. <laughs> wow. So I had, and I stayed up all night and I figured it out so that I could manage the content on this travel startup. So I think that's brilliant advice. That's in it's, it's sort of the situation of you have to take a leap of faith in yourself and in your ability to be able to pick up any skill. And it's an interesting state when you cross over. So and we talked about a little bit before we started the recording about the fact that you actually left high school. I want to talk about that now, about the point where what you were learning from the startup of your business was so much more important and so much a better use of your focus and your time and school was noise in the background. So I want to talk about the fact that you actually chose to leave high school to start that business. Yeah, and and, and I, w- I would say earlier, you mentioned how the, the kids with the highest grades have the most anxiety. And, I, and and early on, before I started the business, my grades were A's and B's. You know, I didn't, I didn't focus heavily on school. It wasn't like my primary thing. It wasn't my identity, but I did a decent job at it. But after the business, my grades dropped to, to C's and D's. And frankly, it was because I didn't care about school anymore. Like I had found this thing and, and I, I, frankly, I told myself like at school, like there's, there's a lot of theories about what school is for, but it teaches you to be a good employee, to follow the rules. And I, I told myself, if I can build a successful business and make money, then that's all I need to support myself. And school is in some ways an extra step of trying to teach you how to be an employee. And so my identity switched from being that of just simply a, a kid who did well at school to this business. And in it, I can't advise that, you know, if you're in school, you should drop out because there's a whole very levels of, of scenarios. And in my scenario, I had uh, parents who were not always there for me. And I, I was also partly in foster care while even running my business. And so it was, a, it was a troubling time. And really the thing that gave me hope was indeed the business. So do you think that the, did foster care help or hinder you? I mean, that just seems like a ridiculous question in a way. But in some aspects, do you find that, did you have a lot of oversight from your foster care parents? Like, did they have a say in whether or not you dropped out of school? No, well, well, they didn't. So I was I was actually able to go live back with my with my mom um, before she died, and it was actually a point where I was able to. I I was going to high school, and then I went to go do online homeschooling, and so I was able to do the this online homeschooling. But I didn't really do the homeschooling because I didn't have a parent that was like looking over me. But when I was in foster care, it, it wasn't. It was for for a fairly short time. But the thing I remember is it seems like it seemed like all the bad things happened to me all at once is that I was pulled into foster care. And on the same day, my server that was hosting my clients crashed 
And I was oh. getting, apparently I had enough route reports that a Scotland Yard um, in England called me because they were investigating mm-hmm. fraud reports. And so imagine I'm standing on the porch and I'm like just here in foster care. I think my whole world's ruined. I think my business is ruined. And everything that I had fought for is it was gone. But in the instance, I thought it was, but it really wasn't. I was able to go back. I was able to recover the business and I was able to continue on from there. And I, I wouldn't say it had, it, it was it was devastating in the moment, but I think it added to the resilience factor because when you're building a business, no matter what your circumstances, you're going to, you're going to face some challenges and some tough times. And especially now with this COVID-19, there's been a lot of businesses who've had to let employees go. And, and I can't imagine the heart and the, the pain that they're going through right now. But I think if you can stick with this idea that you're going to get through it, that there's been so many times in the past, so many, so many history and so many stories of people who went through crazy challenges and they were able to overcome them. And so if you can find something to, to, to cling to, something that can give you hope, then I think that can help get you through those rough times. And going through all the challenges that I did, I think if it, no matter how bad things get, is that once you get through them, you can always look back and say, you know, I made it through 100% of the days before this. So today should be no challenge. Right. So I work with a lot of neurodiverse kids uh, and they do really well starting a business, particularly if they have ADHD, uh, because I also work with a lot of homeschool kids. So you find that Mm -hmm. those tend to, you know, lots of kids who are either on autism spectrum or they have anxiety disorder, especially social anxiety or performance anxiety and ADHD. And they'll come into my class and uh, they can't sit still through the class at all. But they show up at a children's business fair with this rock and business idea and make gobs of money. So mm-hmm. I know that you mentioned that you have ADHD. You learned later that you had Asperger's. Do you find that does the ADHD help or are you managing it or, you know, how does that impact you as an entrepreneur? So, you know, I, I I didn't find out these things until later in my life. And in some ways I'm thankful because I think if I was put on stimulant medication, that it would have hindered my success because a lot of the creativity that I had, a lot of, uh, a lot of it was simply from always thinking of new ideas and creating connecting patterns. And I think if you have ADHD, you are, or even if you have Asperger's, you're, you're non-neurotypical. So you think in different ways and the creativity that comes with ADHD, I think was absolutely invaluable. In, in terms of my success, because it allows you to, it's, it's like when you're in the, when you're in the classroom, you know, you're you're yelled at if you're daydreaming or you're thinking of something else. But that is instrumental when you're running a business because it was, I, I, you know, I, I I've had people come to me and they say like, "Wow, you're so successful, you're so smart," and I said like, "No, I just I just think more than most people." And like yeah. when I was running the business, it's like I was just constantly thinking of new ideas. I was like looking at competitors. I was I I was connecting different ideas about how could I offer a service that is more appealing to to my to my customers. How, where where could I advertise in different places to get more customers? How can I improve the efficiency of the operations? And you're you know in some ways it's uh, my mind was always jumping from various things. So I was never. I think that's also a part of why I was never able to really learn like one skill specifically because you just kind of get bored very easily. But that that ability to get distracted is 
is that I was able to think about all these different areas because especially if you're an entrepreneur, you have to be able to take your mind from thinking about the operations to the marketing, if you're coding something to how you're going to get customers, you have to be able to take all these these connecting ideas and somehow connect them so that you have a, a lean, efficient machine that's able to, to offer a product or a service and get money in return. And I think if you're just thinking on on one aspect, like there's there, there's a story uh, from a from a great book about uh, about software and, and processes, and it's a lady who who liked to bake bread, and she went into the business and she opened up a bakery shop, but then she actually ended up closing the bakery shop because she learned she didn't like to manage the employees, she didn't like to deal with the finances and the operations and everything that comes along with it. And so, if if you go into this, you have to be prepared to have your hand in many different pots, and you have to be prepared to be able to to talk about. Uh, the code one day and then the marketing the next day. And I think having something that is typically seen as an impairment can actually be a, a boost, a positive thing. And it, it, I think it's all, especially how you label yourself. So if you label yourself as somebody who has ADHD, but you wear that like a proud flag of like, I'm ADHD and I'm proud of it, then you're going to get more positive benefits out of having that diagnosis than if you consider it a, a, a disability per se. Yeah. And I find that a lot of the kids that I talk to that ended up homeschooled, they're very thankful that they homeschool. They, because they can embrace whatever it is, is their flag they need to wave for sure. But I do deal with a few teens in particular that are still in the school system. And there's this weird dichotomy that they're constantly dealing with, being told that they can't sit still and they need to put skills in place so that they can function but it's in a false environment, right? It's not, school is not a real life environment. It's very mm -hmm. canned, it's structured. It has a, you're divided by age, which nobody else in the world is. And they, those kids in particular really struggle with the definition of themselves within that environment compared to the definition that they've made from themselves by creating a business and selling it and getting a lot of positive feedback for it. So I think you're probably, you probably experienced the same thing, but you sort of left it behind pretty fast. Yeah. I think that um, uh, in your book, you mentioned um, about that sort of transition, like, and you talked about all these bad things kind of happening at the same time. And often that we hear from entrepreneurs, like older entrepreneurs, that they went through incredible adversity and sometimes that adversity just can't be mimicked. And I think I mentioned that earlier in the conversation, you know, the, yeah, I had to go to school in minus 40 and, you know, uphill both ways straight into the wind. And I had to walk seven miles and, you know, but I really wanted to go or I, you know, the only way I could play football is if I sewed my own shoes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, know, have, you have these, all these, you know, generations older than us, that have these definitions of, you know, adversity. I mean, Richard Branson's a perfect example. He has, you know, incredible, incredible stories of, you know, he also uh, dropped out of school, you know, to be able to do what he does, but there was always an anchor for a lot of these people, mm -hmm. um, their mom or a grandmother or, you know, somebody else. And I, I, I don't hear that in your story. Did you have, like, I know you had your first business partner was a lot like sort of a surrogate dad, which caused uh, problems later on for you. But it sounds like you were really quite alone during that time. Is that is that accurate or did you have sort of an anchor point that you could always go to? 
It, you know, frankly, I, I was alone. And it, I, even even today, it's been weird because I've achieved this uh, this great success. But I've had more issues with motivating myself to work in the past two years, even though I've had was, I've had an incredible amount of success. You know, the company we're about to hit ten million in revenue this year, uh, and to to get to this point, I, I never would have imagined it, it'd be it'd be even possible. But I find that I'm I'm less motivated because now that I'm at a point where I don't have to run the business, I have competent, ethical, moral people who are running the business, and we're actually do, doing pretty well even in the economy of of this COVID nineteen crisis that we're having. So I'm I'm very grateful. But back in the day when I was going through all these stressors and losing my parents and and effectively being alone, and then even traveling and living in different parts of the city, I lived in uh, Seattle for a while in LA for a while uh, by myself especially is really the only thing I had was my dog so I would I would I would I would go out on walks with the dog and we would go to different places and we would hike in different places and then the other thing it was just it was the business itself it served as a in some ways it served as a as a dual nature it served as a stressor but it also served as a lifeline and and I mean that in the sense that you know it caused stress with all the problems that would inevitably pop up, but especially going through like I remember that my when the night that my mother died is I watched a movie and then I went to work and I did I answered tickets from a clients and you know you would you would think like wow why would you why would you work you know especially on the day that your your mother died that must have been terrible but in some ways it was the the business gave me this sense of it, it served partly as a distraction, but it also is what gave me a purpose because my, my North star, and I think everybody should have a North star, which is, is something that you're aiming for. That is your primary motivation. And I wanted to support myself. I wanted to, to get over this fear of this, this, this inevitable fear that I had that I will be homeless if I don't become successful, because I, I feel like I'm totally unemployable. Nobody would hire me and I wouldn't want to work for anybody. And so I had to either be successful or I was going to be homeless. And that was my two options. And it was, it was the business that simultaneously gave me the, the stress of all the problems that would prop up. But it also is what motivated me because sometimes with the business, and so, so this is the other thing is that when you're running a business, inevitably you're going to find things that you like to do, but you have to balance those with the things that you don't like to do. And so you have to be able to push through all the things that are not fun or boring are just even not in your field, but you're rewarded by doing these things that you find flow in. And so there's this thing called the Goldilocks zone, which is finding a task that you're working on where it's not too hard, but it's not too easy. And those are the things that you find flow with it. And so some, I'm sure everybody has experienced this where even if it could be a basketball game, it could be uh, maybe writing something or it could be working on your business, is you find something, a, a creative pursuit that you find that you can work on it for hours and you don't even know that the time is passing. And those those are, are rewarding. So I would, I would find those things within my business. And that gave me the sense of satisfaction. It gave me that I was, I was progressing and it gave me this, this sense of comfort as well when I didn't have the people around me to give me that comfort. Um, and, and so now it's, it's interesting to be at this other point in my career where I have the successful business. I have everything I honestly wish I wanted when I was 16, uh, more success than I ever could have imagined. And I find that I've actually been less happy than I was dealing with the struggle of trying to make it. So yeah, I, I think in some ways it was the, the business gave me that comfort uh, and that's what kept me going. 
right? The anchor actually was the drive to be successful mm -hmm. in and of itself. Yeah, that's uh, that's unique. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, I think that uh, that's everything that I have to say to you today. If you want to add anything on, uh, I definitely want uh, people to hear that your book is amazing. Um, how long ago did you write that book? Uh, it's been out for, I think, almost uh, a year and a half now. Yeah, a year and a half. Um, and it's definitely worth a read. Again, it's Foster Care to Millionaire. I'll put a link in the show notes for everybody to find that and get their hands on it because it's now an audiobook, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. And uh, that's, uh, I always listen to my audiobooks at one and a half times. Do you do that? I listen to things faster. It, it depends. Some of them I slow it down. Some of them I keep it uh, where yeah. it is. Cody also has um, a podcast uh, called Mind Hack, which is awesome. Talks a lot about his newsletter, talks a lot about uh, meditation and finding your center and finding your core. And I, I highly recommend that, probably more for the parents than the kids that are on the podcast, but you're welcome to give it a try. And uh, I'll also add in where you can find him and his, uh, his great work as a support ninja for his company, which I love that title. Mm. I think that's amazing. Um, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me. I know this was uh, it's kind of a weird podcast to be on as a grown-up because it's actually meant uh, for kids. But I think everything you've had to say is just a, it's a great inspiration. It's a great opportunity. And I hear so much of what I teach the kids and what you've had to say. And so I think you're a great inspiration. Thanks so much for being on with me today. Yeah. Thank you, Stacey. Thanks for listening. Tell me your thoughts about today's episode. Anything stand out? Come check out kidstomarket.com forward slash the podcast for details of today's show. And if you know a young entrepreneur that should be on the Kids to Market podcast, send me an email. I'd love to hear about them. And remember, the two most important steps you'll take is simply to start and take it to market. Thank you.